before we read our passage this morning, I want to talk to our young ones. This is how we begin. Young ones, I want to tell you what the passage is going to be about, what the sermon's going to be about. This is going to get us all on the same page. So I'm going to start by telling you a true story. True story. Okay, one day in Arizona, this is a few years ago, uh, there was a woman. She's walking her dog, her little dog, and her young two-year-old little girl. And they're walking along, and little dog's, you know, super excited and all over the place, and, and somehow, like, turns around, does one of these moves, and slips out of the collar. Uh, and now the little dog's just kind of running along, skipping, having fun, like not running off, but just running ahead. And the mom is watching as her little two-year-old girl does go off chasing the little dog. And the mom's thinking, two-year-old, I've got her, not going to let her get too far ahead of me. Just watch, they're having fun, eyes on, parents, eyes on. Uh, and uh, the little girl gets maybe like one house in front of the mom, and she steps on this grate, and the grate flips, and this little girl goes under. Like the girl just disappears. The mom's walking along, sees her little two-year-old girl just disappear, and she runs up, and she looks into this, this grate, and it's a septic tank. Kids, do you all know what a septic tank is? A septic tank is this thing that holds all the stuff that you flush down the toilet. And <laughs> yes, and so super gross. And she looks over, and her little two-year-old girl is nowhere to be seen. Like, she's under this stuff. And so the mom reaches down, and she's like, she's like grabbing around, and then she's yelling for help, yelling for help. This neighbor who's just across the street doing, doing yard work, he runs over as she's screaming what happened, and he dives head first into the septic tank. And he's down under it. Like, he completely disappears. He's down under it. And he comes out covered in stuff that comes from the toilet, covered in it. And, 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 he, and he, you know, he, he you know, spews out all this stuff, taking, taking a breath, and he doesn't have the girl. He goes back under. He does this for four minutes going under, searching, 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 coming up until he just can't breathe anymore. He finally comes out with the little girl. And they bring her out. And she's not breathing. And so he, the, the, the man leans over the girl and he gives her mouth to mouth, you know, CPR. And all of a sudden she blah, spews out all this stuff and she makes it. Okay, let me ask you this. If that happened to you, and I would really love to hear yay or nay. If that happened to you, do you think that would be a story that you would brag about later to your family, to your friends, to anybody? No? Pretty gross? Yes? But think about it. Would you brag about that story? Maybe after you got cleaned up, maybe after all the trauma, and maybe like a week later, and you're thinking about this story that happened to you, I bet you would brag about it to just about anybody who would listen. Because, yeah, it's super gross. It's also crazy amazing. Like, it's an amazing, awesome, unbelievable story. It's, like, super gross, but awesome. And, y'all, it's the story of, like, you coming back from the dead. Like, that's crazy. And that is really, 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 really what we're all scared of is dying and coming back from the dead. And here's the crazy thing of what Jesus is going to tell us about today is, that's the story of the gospel. And it's even crazier than like that nasty, gross story about a little girl drowning in a tub of you know, grossness uh, and then coming back to life. Like this, the story of the gospel is crazier than that, and it's true, and it's your story. 
you think about this, like that, that the gospel is about Jesus who dove into the mess and the nastiness of your life, not caring what he got on him. He got your sin on him. As he goes to the cross, he takes all of the bad stuff in your life, all of your sin, he takes it on himself in order to save you. And it's not that Jesus just like, whoo, like he actually drowned on the cross in your sin in order to save you. He gave up his life to overcome your death. That is the craziness of the gospel, and it is really, 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 really true. And it's true of you. Let me say this last thing. Y'all, like, <clears throat> kids, you've got to hear this. And answer this question, either out loud or in your head. Did that girl do anything to save herself? No. She didn't do anything to save yourself. Can you do anything to save yourself? No. Please hear me say this. You cannot do anything to save yourself. Jesus has to do it all for you. You have got to believe and put your faith that it's Jesus' life for your life. It's Jesus' death for your death. That's what saves you. You've got to put your faith in a Savior who is strong and you are weak. That's faith. And it's true that you really do have your Lord and Savior right now even though you can't see Him. And the big thing we're going to say today is He can see you. And one day, you will see Him. Okay, with that, Let's jump into our series, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount this whole fall. We've come to this part in the sermon with all these commands. We're taking the sermon in chunks. One sermon, we're in the commands part. Uh, and these commands are for the members of the church. As Jesus is going through all this stuff, and what Jesus said earlier in the sermon, what we did weeks ago, got to keep it in front of us because it gives us the context to understand what he's saying, what he's not saying. Here, what Jesus is doing, as we jump into this passage, is Jesus is contradicting the uh, uh, Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, and he is correcting their misinterpretation and their misapplication of the Old Testament. As, here, as Jesus is giving us the New Testament, as he's giving us the New Covenant, he's saying, yeah, there, there are, uh, we're in a different situation now than, than Israel was in, you know, not a theocracy. Now the church is a family on our way to the ultimate kingdom of heaven, what Israel was always pointing to. And he's also correcting some, some terrible mistakes made by the Jewish religious leaders. And that's what he's uh, doing this morning. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we already said this, but uh, we're going to be in verses 1 to 8 and then skip down to verse 16. We're skipping over the Lord's prayer that we just prayed because we are coming back next Sunday to deal with that in detail. With that, the word of the Lord, here we go. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Um, okay, what we're wanting to do in taking this, this big chunk, we could take it in smaller chunks, uh, we want to see the forest. We don't want to miss it for the trees. Uh, and here's seeing the forest. Seeing verses 1 through 18 as one passage. It's this. Jesus gives three examples. Three examples of how people use religion not to praise God, but to praise themselves. And the three examples are tithing, praying, and fasting. So Jesus says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. This is about giving to the people of God. This is about tithing to the church in order to care for those who are in need, in order to care for the mission of the church. And he says the religious leaders wanted everyone to know how much they gave. Jesus says when you give in the church, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, which is a really fun thought experiment of when you give, don't tell anybody. It's enough that God sees you and your giving pleases him. And in prayer, Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. When you pray, you don't pray like the Pharisees, like these loud prayers in public, like, hey, everyone, come see how holy I am. It's, it's Jesus says when you pray, no one has to see. It's enough that your father who you can't see, sees you. And in fasting, Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that they are fasting may be seen by others. You know, the Old, the old Testament Mosaic law said fast once a year. The Pharisees, being super-duper religious, fasted twice a week, and they wanted everyone to know about it. We wanted to know, everyone to know how spiritual they were. And Jesus said that like tithing and like praying when you fast, no one needs to know because it's God who sees you. Now, this sounds like stating the obvious. Nobody likes to show off. But do we? It's like, is that true? Nobody likes to show off. When you think about like football, what is that design, like the touchdown dance? Soccer, you score a goal, you, you rip your jersey off, and you slide across half the field. Uh, baseball, home run, and it's bat flip. And, like, this stuff is just in us of, like, they're celebrating, yeah, and then there's boasting. Don't know if you saw this game, but Bryce Harper, well-known baseball player uh, for the Phillies and their division series, uh, playing, the Bra- playing the Braves, 
the, the previous game, he had made a mental error on the bases, and, and the shortstop on the other team like went to social media to make fun of him. And so the next game, Bryce Harper hits two home runs, and on both home runs, he totally stares down the shortstop as he's running around the bases. And you see that, and the commentators see it, and everybody sees it, and we love it. It's, just, it's awesome. Boasting of our awesomeness, or what we think is our awesomeness. We boast about that stuff too, because I remember back in our Little League days, I remember watching a playoff game of Little Leaguers, and this one kid, during the game, he leaves the dugout, he runs by some of the fans, he runs by some of us on his way to the bathroom, bathroom, and he sees one of his friends, and he yells, he goes, hey, Bennett, I finally got a point. <laughs> and then he like runs off to the bathroom, still in the middle of his game. Okay, uh, if you don't know baseball, just FYI, you don't say point. You say, I scored a run. Uh, and if you'd like to know more about baseball, you're not going to ask that sweet little kid who doesn't know what he's talking about, even though he's boasting all about it. Uh, kids boast about things they don't know about. So do we. So do adults. And the temptation here is you read this stuff and you get it like the Pharisees are boasting all about themselves, the religious leaders. It's, there's a temptation to paint the Pharisees in just such a ridiculous light. Like they were just so ridiculous. Can you imagine? And, and, and then we can leave it there with a little laugh and not do any forced self-reflection. Like that, that, you know, laugh it off in order to ignore our own stuff, ignore ourselves, in order to more easily excuse ourselves for the very, very, very same things. They were ridiculous. The Pharisees were ridiculous in these respects, but no more than we are. The temptation is there for all of us to show off our religion, to show off our goodness, the temptation is there to take credit for God's work in our, in our lives and present ourselves as if our spirituality, our religi religiosity, were the, like it was the product of our own self-discipline. As if our righteousness were the product of all our own hard work. And we can even, we can even hide our boasting behind this veiled uh, humility you know, uh, with feigned, humble bragging. There's this show called The Office, which we've not talked about in way too long. And the main character is this uh, regional manager uh, of this paper company, uh, Michael Scott, works for Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Uh, and he means, he means so well. You know, he's, he's rather innocent, uh, but it, uh, his attempts at humor, they're so offensive. Like, and he's so annoying. Uh, he's one giant insecure child. Um, one episode, there's just one episode where it looks like the branch is about to close and everyone is going to lose their job and Michael is trying to keep everyone distracted just to like keep going about your work, let's get through the day, it's going to be okay, uh, and, and it works out. Like he keeps everybody like spirits up and it works out and he's really feeling good about himself at the end and they, they, the show is like with all these monologues and here's his monologue at the end. He says, when I retire, I, I don't want to just disappear to an island somewhere. I want to be the guy who gives everything back. I want it to be like, hey, who donated that hospital wing that is saving so many lives? Um, well, I, I don't know. It, it was anonymous. Well, guess what? That was Michael Scott. But it was anonymous. How do you know? Because I'm him. You <laughs> said like that humble, bra that humble brag that we're, we're actually all really, really good at. Uh, it would be Really, really dangerous to excuse ourselves here. Because Pharisaism 
continues today. And, and, and really, there's another word we can put on it. It's the word that Jesus puts on it. He calls them hypocrites. Uh, that word hypocrite actually comes from Greek, uh, and it means an actor. It means an actor, someone on the stage. In ancient Greek theater, actors, they wore these large masks uh, to mark which character they were playing. So hypocrite came to refer to a person pretending to be someone or something they were not. That's what Jesus calls these Pharisees, these people who pretend to be something that they're not. Hypocrites today also use religious works uh, just to puff themselves up, try to impress others, try to wield influence over others. That hypocrisy, it's in every religion, it's in every institution, it's in every politic, uh, it's in every philosophy, and it's in the church. People today use the church for networking, for business purposes, for social purposes. I'm not saying you get, get like, can I, can I, you know, can I do things with, you know, people in the church? Yes, but when, it, when that's the point, when that's the purpose, when people use the church just to get a pat on the back, it's just somewhere where you need to be seen. People use religion to try to impress God and try to earn his blessing. And some people really like power, and they really like uh, the authority that religion gives them over others. I mean, can you imagine telling people how to live day in, week in, week out, Sunday to Sunday, and then you surround yourself with enough yes men and women, you can truly lord your authority and your agenda over a group of people, even a denomination. Narcissists love the church because narcissists love power, admiration, and they love a stage. And the prayer that we left out today, uh, but that we prayed right before, uh, begins with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first and great petition is the glory of God's name is not ours. And yet many, and one is too many, too many in the church are concerned with their own fiefdoms, their own names, their own brand. And here's the danger. All three of those examples, the, uh, this stuff of tithing and praying and fasting, they come with a repeated warning, every single one. If you live this way, you've already received your reward, which means you will not be rewarded with heaven. The warning is, if you use God to get attention, influence, power, that is evidence against you that you are not a Christian. And all you're left with for a reward is that hit of dopamine you get every time you get some attention. That's it. What Jesus is telling us is that you, me, we have no grounds to show off anything. You have nothing to boast in except your weakness and the power of the gospel. These three examples, tithing, praying, fasting, they're forms of good boasting when you use them correctly. Uh, they're boasting of the strength of God and of your weakness. Tithing 
is that thing of you don't own your stuff. It's God's stuff. All your stuff is God's stuff. And you give back to the owner, capital O, a portion of his gifts that he's given to you to steward. And you give them back to him for his work. Prayer. Prayer is is a boasting in, and it's a confession of our reliance on the Holy Spirit to do the work of his mission. The work of salvation. Fasting is denying yourself sustenance in order to feel your need of sustenance, which reminds you, literally the hunger pangs in your belly are meant to remind you of your spiritual hunger pangs and need of God and your need of his love and your need of his mercy to fill you up because nothing in this world can. The gospel message of Jesus is, is to boast in your weakness and in his strength. And what's clearly implied in the warning here is the actual reward for Christians in the church. And your reward is, is God himself. It, yes, and we think about heaven, we think about the reward of heaven, you will be unimaginably powerful, you will be unimaginably wealthy, you will, you will be unimaginably beautiful and immortal and good and righteous, and yes, yes, you will be reunited forever with other Christians from the history of the world and from your life. And we could go on and on and on and on and on, and, 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 your great reward in heaven is God himself you will get God. And our boasting, therefore, it really does reveal what we all really, 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 really want, which is to be seen. Jesus says the hypocrite Pharisees boast in order to be seen. But again, you can't just put this on the Pharisees. We all struggle. We all struggle with being seen. Some people want to be seen by the world. Like we know that some people really want to be seen by the world. Some people uh, want to be invisible in the world. They want to be under the radar, off the grid. But whether you, you know, whether you want to be seen or not at all, all of us struggle with this thing of being seen. We struggle with being seen by the world, and that is because we all, everyone who has ever lived, everyone in the world, we all struggle with, whether or not we admit it, we all of us struggle with being seen by God, because some of us really want to be seen by God, uh, and we're afraid he doesn't see us. There are people today all around this world uh, wondering, struggling, does God see me? Does he see my pain? Does he see me in my suffering? Does he even know I exist? Others don't want God to see them. Christians, we want to be seen, and that desire is to be seen by God and know that he sees us in our hurt and that we are not alone and that he has not forgotten us. And at the same time, it's a scary thought that God sees us and he sees us all the time. Now, in heaven... Think about this. In heaven, if you've never thought about this, in heaven, did you know, people will not be competing with each other. We will not be competing with each other in terms of knowledge. That won't happen in heaven. We won't be competing with each other in terms of resources. We will not be competing with each other in terms of authority or influence. There will be no such thing as influencers in heaven. There will be no you're either with me or you're against me in heaven. 
In heaven, there will be no manipulation, no underhand, underhanded agendas, no hallway conversations about how to force your agenda on others. There will be no taking advantage of each other. In heaven, no one will have ulterior motives. There will be no using other people to try to benefit for your own personal gain, which is an incredible thought and an incredible reality and an incredible future to come. And you would say, but... That will be the case, at least in part. At least, there are a bunch of reasons why that's going to be the case, but at least in part because there in heaven, we will walk by sight. We will see God, and we will see that he sees us. But right now, we walk by faith, and that is a challenge to say the least. Like, Think about this. Why do kids tell their parents, you were a kid and you did this at one point. You've seen other kids do this. Hey, watch me, watch me, watch me. Like, why do kids do, why do they do that? Uh, well, according to some, it, it's definitely for attention, but in like more ways than one. Uh, it's be, they may do that because they may think you're ignoring them. And that's going to solve their problem. Watch me, watch me, watch me. They also do this because they want your approval. You know, parents, older, older kids, you know, older adults, uh, you know, parent, you, you are a very important person to them, and they want to know you like what they are doing. Why? Because they know that if you like what they are doing, it means you like them, and that's the real reason. Pay attention to them. Encourage them. To them, it is so important. We're all a bunch of big kids. Uh, I... I, I, I Y'all, a peekaboo, I looked this up of like, why do little babies like peekaboo? The thing of, you know, here and they're gone and they just love it. Uh, according to some experts, playing peekaboo stimulates your little one's senses, encourages social development, helps build gross motor skills, strengthens visual tracking, and then here it is, and helps reinforce object permanence. What babies love is that, that thing of understanding that even though your baby, your toddler, they can't see something like your smiling face, it still exists. And when they look and peek, there it is. That smiling face, I knew it was there. This is, this is us. We're all a bunch of big babies. A bunch of big kids, and what we want to do more than anything is peekaboo into heaven and see that God is looking at us smiling. Does He see us? And the hard part is, we're all hypocrites, and we're all questioning, Does God see me? And oh my God, if you see me, it's a terrifying thought. And the gospel says that God sees us. And he sees us for who we are, and he still moves toward us. And he will reward us with himself. And it's not because we're holy, and it's not because we're strong. It's because of Jesus, who took on our flesh, who took on our weakness, and he died. And he didn't die for his sin, he died for our sin. He took on all of our weakness on himself on the cross. And this is, this is that thing of God who is hidden. Does he see us? We know where we're headed. And this is that ultimate stuff of death is coming for everyone, and we know it and we hate it 
because death is that great concealer. This is the biblical language of how, how the Bible talks about death, and we all know it to be true, that the earth is a covering for the dead. The face of the earth has become this death shroud over us, this death veil over the face of mankind. The earth now hides the dead and conceals us. And we're wondering, what happens when we die? Will God see us? Will we be covered over forever? And the gospel is, it is Jesus who has overcome that death. It is Jesus who has overcome uh, death itself. He is right now, loved ones, we've got to hold on to this. His resurrection, he is risen and his resurrection is literally a removal of that death shroud that they put over him. His resurrection is a removal of that death shroud over all of us forever. His resurrection from the tomb, it is literally an uncovering. It is a revelation. It is a revealing of God's full salvation. And we can't do it, but Jesus can, and he has. We can't get ourselves out of the grave, but Jesus can get you out of the grave, and he will. We are weak. He is strong. That question, does he see you? Yes. And one day you'll see it. You'll see him looking back at you. The revelation of his glory, other ones, try to put all those back together. Like the revelation of his glory, that is what you want more than anything. If you've ever put words to it, that is the great desire in your heart, is, the, is for God to reveal himself and show himself to us completely. That is, the revelation of his glory is what we boast about right now by faith. Because we will see it. And we are waiting to see it with our own eyes. Let's pray. Father, it sounds like a hard thing, almost impossible thing to boast in our weakness. And yet we come here and we do this thing of reflecting and sitting under the authority of your word to say we boast we boast in your strength, and we boast in our utter need of you to do what we cannot do. Uh, Father, to be at work in us and to continue to change us, to sanctify us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we look to you in faith. Lord, you can do what we cannot do. And Lord, we look in hope to the future if you will bring all of your salvation to consummation. We long for that day, even as we groan right now, even as we struggle right now, uh, even as we struggle with, with being scared of you and, and, and struggling with that thing of faith and struggling with that thing of grace and thinking we've got to prove it over and over and over again today. Lord, bring us back to the cross. Bring us back to that place of grace knowing that you've done what we can't do for ourselves. And then help us and bless us to hold out that grace to each other because the person next to us is struggling with that thing of grace too. And Lord, help us again to boast, not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ and of your love, not just for us, but for all of your people. And bless us to take this gospel out to the world, that you would be about building your kingdom and saving more and more until you call us home, until you come back. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.